Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in John chapter 21. While you're turning there, it's interesting to me that this morning is our final time, at least for this series, in the book of John. We have been in this book almost four years. We started August 20th, 2017, and so almost four years later, we are coming to a close. And you know, as we're, we're looking at chapter 21, one of the questions I have been asking myself as I've been looking at this passage is why does John end with chapter 21? He has spent the entire book showing us who Jesus is. And you know, last week was chapter 20. It was the resurrection. It was in, in from, for most cases, it should have been the climax of the book, shouldn't it? Jesus has risen from the dead. He comes to his disciples who all are doubting. He shows himself to them, and they all put their faith in him. And so in verse uh, chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, John could have closed the book out with this statement that he writes. He says, Now, Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that what? you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And then it should have said, if I was writing this, and they lived happily ever after the end. And then I wouldn't have had to preach this message this morning. We could have gone into the book of Acts that we're going to be going back into next week. But God is wiser than me. Amen? Amen. And he knows what he's doing. He had John write this, this uh, chapter for a reason. And I believe that it's because chapter 20 is not the end of the gospel. It's actually the beginning for his people. It's where we start the walk with God. And oftentimes, as we've talked about in our church, it doesn't go happily ever after once you start following Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? Where we always are coming facing trials and tests and temptations. And there are times that we find victory, but there are often times that we don't. There are often times that we fail. And I believe that chapter 21 is written for those times of failure. It's written there to remind us. It's written there to show us what the heart of Jesus is like to his disciples, to his sheep when they fail. It's written for sinning saints. I believe that this this last chapter is written to show us how Jesus deals with his sheep when we fail. That's primarily what what I want us to see this morning as we are going through this passage, as we are reading through. I want you to be looking at the heart of Christ this morning. That's what my prayer has been. So let's pray and then we will jump into our text. Lord, it is amazing that uh, it has been four years that we have been going through this book and you have been revealing yourself to us. And I pray that this morning, Lord Jesus, more than anything, we, we need to see your heart. 
More than anything, we need to hear your voice. Uh, more, more than anything, we need to be encouraged by you and strengthened by you. Lord, if you have correction for us, we need to hear that. And so whatever you want to do in each one of our lives, you have um, different plans for each one of us. Ultimately, you desire that we all know you. Ultimately, you desire that we all would be saved and walk in victory and in joy. But whatever you want to do in us this morning, I pray that you would help us to, to not resist you, to not harden our hearts, but to, to joyfully receive your word. I pray this in your name. Amen. Let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 21. After this, which Jesus is talking about after the resurrection and all that was revealed in chapter 20, John is, that's what John is saying here. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And you know, every time I read this passage, what does it remind you of when you read it? Doesn't it remind you of when Jesus first met Peter? When, when Jesus first called Peter to himself? It's this, this, this account is found in Luke 5. And if you remember, Peter and his guys were out fishing all night. They don't catch anything. They come in, and Jesus says, hey, cast your nets out. And what does Peter say to them? He basically says, you know, we've been doing this all night. We didn't catch anything. But because you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. So he lets down his nets. What happens? It gets filled with fish, and as they're pulling the nets in, it breaks. And what happens to Peter? When Peter sees the glory of Jesus in this account, it scares him. It literally scares him. And he falls to his knees in front of Jesus. And what does he say? He doesn't say, I will follow you. Instead, he says, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. What is, why does he do that? It's because he sees the holiness of this man that is standing in front of him, and it makes him aware of his unholiness. And I bet you he's thinking, man, if you, Jesus, if you really realized who I am, you would be saying this to me. You would be saying, depart from me. That's, that's what it feels like when you get in the presence of someone that is holy. But that's not what Jesus says to him, is it? What does Jesus say? He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. You will be fishers of men. 
And it says in verse 11 that Peter and everybody left everything and they followed him. I want us to keep this, that account in mind as we continue to move through this passage. We're going to come back to this in just a second. So in verse 7, it says that the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Notice Peter. When he realizes it's the Lord, what does he do? He, he can't wait to see him again. It, this passage here says it, it was not that far off, a hundred yards. That's a long way for me, isn't it? Is that, that's a long way to walk much less swim. But Peter, just imagine Peter jumping in the water and the other disciples, six disciples are in there pulling in the fish, probably laughing their heads off, amazed at what has just happened. And there you got Peter swimming and Jesus is standing there on the shore. Verse nine says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have, have, that you have just caught. Simon Peter, so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Now, a lot of commentators want to tell you why that number is 153, why John puts 153 down. Um, some people believe that it was 153 different types of fish in the, in the Sea of Galilee, and that's why you know, it represents all the nations in the world and that the net represents the church. All these things, I think it's there. You know why? Because I think they caught 153 fish. It just shows this really happened. I, that's what I believe, but you can do your study on it if, if you've got another view. I'm not going to say it's not. All right, so there was 153 of them, and although there were so many... The net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They recognized him. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the, to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Can you imagine that? That scene to see someone that has that was dead but now is alive and then if you were one of those disciples, what would that have been like to sit in front of him? I I try to put myself when I'm meditating on something like this, I try to put myself in their shoes. What would, what would you say? Would you have a lot of questions to ask Jesus? I don't know. You know, as he's handing you bread, as he's giving you fish. I don't know. I just imagine myself just sitting there with this big smile on my face, not knowing what to say to someone that's resurrected from the dead. An amazing um, event that, that has happened. So they eat breakfast with the Lord. And then in verse 15, Jesus turns to Peter. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, evidently up to this point, Jesus has not talked to Peter about that night 
when he denied him three times. Now, he's appeared to Jesus. This is at least his third time that he's seen him. But evidently, he had not talked to him about this one-on-one. And it, it appears in verse 20 that they must have gotten up and started walking around the Sea of Galilee uh, because later it's going to say that Peter looks back and sees John following them. So it sounds like Jesus is getting Peter by himself, and he is going to reinstate him into ministry. But before he does, he's not just going to sweep under the rug what Peter did. He's, he's going to deal with it. He's going to, he's going to gently but painfully clean out that wound. I think that Peter probably had questions in the back of his mind. Questions about how his relationship with Jesus was going to be now that he had done what he had done. So in verse 15, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I think that probably stung a little bit. Like, remember the other night when you said, uh, I'll never deny, these guys may deny you, but I won't. Do you, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, have you noticed it says he said to him a lot there? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Peter speaks the truth, doesn't he? Jesus knows everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, a question I have here is this. Did Peter love Jesus? Is Jesus really asking him, do you love me? I mean, Jesus knows, like Peter said, he knows everything. Did Peter love Jesus? And you know, I know that Peter takes a lot of heat because sometimes he makes decisions out of his unbridled passion. We've seen this over and over in the Gospels. But really, if you study the life of Peter in the Gospels, he is one of the most remarkable disciples. He he clearly displays faith. He clearly displays love for Jesus and commitment to him. If you'll remember when Jesus is talking to the disciples in the gospels, he says, who do you say I am? And what does Peter say? He's the one that speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then in John chapter six, when when a lot of the disciples are deserting Jesus, he looks at the disciples and goes, what about you guys? What are you going to do? And what what does Peter say? He says to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And not only that, he not only did he confess that Jesus is the Messiah, he also was gutsy and a risk taker. Think about it. He is the only one who had the nerve to step out on water and walk on it. Peter is the only disciple that we know of that walked on water. And even on the night of his arrest, yes, he took a sword and he ran into a battalion that he shouldn't have, but he, was, he, he loved his Lord. He thought he was doing what was best for him. 
He, he had a passion. He was going to die for the Lord. And even after that, after Jesus is arrested, where does he go? He goes right into the courtyard, right into the heart of the action, and he stands there. There is a certain amount of courage, a great much more than I have. He's much braver than I would have been. And yes, Peter was misguided, like I said, by his passions at times. But there is no denying that he loved Jesus. But he was overconfident, had become overconfident over time as he spent time with Jesus. Instead of being the guy in the boat that said, depart from me, I am not worthy of you. After a while, it seems like he was like, wait, maybe I am. Look, I'm one of the top three of Jesus' disciples. Maybe I am worthy of him. Maybe that's why he chose me. So he, he begins to have this certain amount of pride in himself as he begins to walk with Jesus. And that's when it happened. That's when he did the very thing that he swore he would never do, that he never dreamed he could have done. And he actually would have looked at others and despised them probably for those that had, would have denied the Lord. He, what did he do? He turned his back on Jesus. He, he called curses down on himself and he basically was saying, I do not know that man and if I'm lying, may heaven curse me. May I be destroyed. And that's when Luke chapter 22 that's when it says that immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and this is the verse that kills me. And the Lord turned and looked at him. Can you imagine that moment when their eyes met? That is the moment that Peter came to his senses and he realized what he had done. It broke him and he went out and he wept bitterly and no doubt there's no doubt in my mind that he was flooded with shame and guilt and regret and I also think that he probably was filled with fear because he knew the words of Jesus he had been with him for three and a half years or so and there's a a, a verse that Jesus says in Luke 12 verses 8 and 9 he says and I tell you everyone who acknowledges me before men the son of man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And you know, I think that Peter, during the time that he was apart from Christ, I think he had to have been asking, well, I just denied Jesus. Not just once, I did it three times. Does that mean he is going to deny me? And at the very least, I'm sure that he thought our relationship is never going to be the same. I mean, I can't believe I just did that. How, how could I have done that? Have you ever been there? Can, can you relate to Peter? Because I can. Uh, you might be here this morning relating to Peter. Why did I do that? There's times in my own life that have, it's been years and years ago when I, a thought or something that came, that came, comes to mind of things that I did. Or it could be even yesterday or an hour ago. Lord, how, why did I do that? 
and it torments you, doesn't it? It, it tortures you. It's a painful thing when, when you come to your senses and you realize what you've done or you realize what you didn't do that you should have done. You know, you ask, why did I give in to that? Why, or, or as you get older, why have I wasted so much of my life? Why didn't I spend more time with, with them when I could have? The question we ask ourselves is, why was I so blind to what was most important? And so there's times in our lives where, where the grief can be overwhelming, it can be burdening, it can be paralyzing, and it's in these moments that I'm in, and, I'm, and I know that if you walk with the Lord, you've been in these moments too. It's in those moments when you question your faith. Man, am I really the real deal? Am I really a disciple of Jesus? Do, do I really love the Lord? But you know, there's a bigger question that, I, that goes through my heart when I'm, when I'm going through these moments. It's this, does he, does he still love me? It is a painful thing to come to your senses. And I think that what the Lord wants to do this morning in this passage is for us to see through Peter's failures he wants us to see what his heart is like towards us when we fail. Now, when you, when you look at the life of Jesus and when he walked on the face of the earth, have you ever noticed that people were attracted to him? I was asking my kids this week, why do you think Jesus, uh, people were attracted to Jesus? And they were like, well, because he did miracles. And that's true. Some people were attracted to him just because of the the, the food he was giving out and free food and healing. And um, it may have even been great teaching. They love to be around great teaching. But have you, have you ever wondered why sinners were attracted to Jesus? Why sinners loved Jesus? Was it because he was pure and holy and sinless? No. Just as I, I said earlier, when you get around someone that's holy and, and perfect or better than you, what does it do? It reveals your deficiencies, doesn't it? It reveals your weaknesses. Your, you feel naked in front of them, and, and it produces feelings of inadequacy and, and shame. So it's not because of Jesus' holiness that people were primarily attracted to him. Um, and yet they were. People were hungry for him, the spiritually hungry, the, the spiritually thirsty, and the spiritually broken came to him. Why? Well, you remember that guy uh, named Zacchaeus? Now, this is what he wasn't in the book of John. He wasn't recorded in the book of John, but in Luke 19, if you're, if you're going through the, the Bible reading plan that we're going through as a church, the New Testament plan, this week we read about Zacchaeus, and I was, as I was reading about him, I was like, oh, this is a great example of why people loved Jesus. Zacchaeus, who was Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. What? And a wee little man was he. He what? He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Okay, we're going to jump to the end. And he said, Zacchaeus, what? You come down. Why? Because you're in big trouble. No, because I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. You know, the thing about Zacchaeus is though he was a wee little man, he was a really wicked little man. 
people hated Zacchaeus. Uh, it says, and if you go back and read the passage, it says that when Jesus went to his house, the people were grumbling. They didn't like it. They were angry. Why? It's because Jesus was welcoming a man who had oppressed them and taken advantage of them. And in their minds, he was not worthy of kindness, mercy, and peace. He was not worthy of Jesus. And, and the, you know what the problem with that is? Is that they're, 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 they're right. It's true. He wasn't, but neither were they. And so the very reason that Jesus was loved is the same reason he was despised. It's because Jesus meets sinners right where they are. That's why he came down to us. He became touchable. He became relatable. He came accessible to whom? To those who know that they are sinners. To those who know that they need a Savior and to those who will come to him and find forgiveness. That's the requirements. You have to realize that you're not worthy of him and then come to him. But you know, when you think about your sin, do you think that Jesus is kind of repelled by your sin? You know, like when you come near him, he's kind of like, oh, come, come on over here. Do you think he's a little bit annoyed with you? I mean, he's going to let you come in, but he's a little bit annoyed. I think that more if we really told the truth, sometimes that's how we see Jesus, isn't it? There's a book that uh, a guy named Dane Ortland wrote called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. This is a book that, that I would recommend to anyone that is struggling with Christ's love for you. And uh, in this book, he, he writes this. I want to read this quote from him. He's speaking of Jesus' love. He says, we project onto Jesus our skewed instincts about how the world works. Human nature dictates that the wealthier a person, the more they tend to look down on the poor. The more beautiful a person, the more they are put off by the ugly. And without realizing what we are doing, we quietly assume that one so high and exalted has corresponding difficulty drawing near to the despicable and unclean. Sure, Jesus comes close to us, we agree, but he holds his nose. Is that how you see Jesus when he's coming to you? Kind of holding his nose because you smell. Because I smell. Is, is that what Scripture teaches? It's not. It's not at all what Scripture teaches. I'm going I'm to read a, a passage, uh, a verse that you guys are very familiar with if you've been in the church for a while. Matthew eleven twenty seven through 29. Jesus, what does he say to us? He says, come to me, all who are perfect and have it all together. Who does he call to himself? All who labor and are heavy laden. Everybody that's trying to get through this life and you're working really hard, you're laboring. 
to get it right, but you can't. You're heavy laden with life. You're heavy laden with sin. Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Who is that written to? It's written to anyone who will come. Now, we can read that verse to unbelievers and say, yeah, you know what? Jesus is so gentle and he's so kind to you. Come to him. He will take you as you are. But then something happens once we get into the fold. It's like, now he got you. And he's going to be, he's going to expect it from you now. He's going to be, he's not going to be gentle and lowly. I don't know, know about you, but that's often this, this feeling that I have inside. And it's intuitively wrong because that's the way we can treat each other, isn't it? That's the way that we love each other. If you do what I, I want you to do, man, you're going to get my love. You're going to get my care. But if you deny me, if you turn your back on me, if you do me wrong, well, I got to be who I got to be. But that is not who Jesus is. Look at this other quote from, um, from Ortland. He says, meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary easily exasperated. I think that's right. The next sentence I should put, he's not like me, right? He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. As we search the scripture, that's what we're going to see. When you really look at Jesus, this is who he is to those who will come to him. Open arms to those who will come to him. He offers favor and friendship to those who will come to him, even though you don't deserve it. And you know, even though Peter was not a Pharisee, in his heart, he had imagined himself to be better than he was, to be better than others. And he couldn't see it. And so what does Jesus do? In his mercy, in his goodness and in his kindness, he allows him to fail. He sobers him up. He shows Peter, okay, this is really who you are. You're like everybody else. You have the tendency to go your own way. You will deny me, just like everybody else. But he does this. He lets him fail. Why? Because he loves him, and he wants to get him back into a spirit so that he can be a useful instrument in his hand. And so going back to our passage, when, when Peter is swimming to Jesus and, P, and Jesus is watching Peter come to him, what do you think is going through Jesus' mind? Is, is he standing there with his arms crossed? Is he rolling his eyes? Oh, great. I didn't know he was in the boat when I said that. Oh. No, he's not. No, I can see just joy, a smile. He's coming to me. He's eager to come to me. And remember, last week I, I, said, I quoted the verse, Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And I'm, I'm certain that when Peter kind of crawled up out of the water, 
covered in leaves and dirt and uh, lake weed or seaweed, whatever that's called, smelling like lake water and dripping wet. What do you think Jesus did? He embr- don't you think he embraced him? Don't, don't you think Jesus got wet? So why does John end uh, chapter, uh, with 20, chapter 21 with this account? I believe he knows that we need to see the heart of Jesus towards us when we fail. That his heart is meek, that his heart is humble, that his heart is gentle. And I want to just say something right here. Um, I don't want us to misunderstand Jesus here. Um, it doesn't mean that Jesus is soft on sin. We, we don't want to mistake his kindness and his graciousness and his mercy for weakness. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about sin. It's not that he, he's saying, you know, just keep on sinning the way that you are going. Um, we know what sin cost him. It cost him his life. He went through um, basically hell in order for our sins to be paid for. So we don't want to take lightly what he's doing or make him seem soft. Um, Jesus, if, if we reject his offer of salvation, Scripture is very clear that, that he will not withhold uh, judgment from us. This, this passage that we're going through, what it's teaching is that Jesus restores all, all, all who repent and return. That's what this passage is teaching. Wherever you're at, whatever situation you're in, wherever you have fallen, if you will remember, if I will repent, that is turn and return to Jesus, he will be standing on the shore ready to receive me to himself. This is to the unbeliever. This is to the believer. I'm sure he was, it's like he's saying, Peter, I I love you. Um, Yes, you blew it, but you came to me. You didn't stay away. You didn't try to clean yourself up and then come. You came to me. You trusted in my love for you. And no, I don't want you to keep on sinning. I didn't die for you so that you could just freely sin. That's not why I don't, I don't want you to continue to sin. But if you do, if you do fail, know that I'm still your advocate. Know that I'm still for you if you'll come to me. And I will welcome you. You will always have a place at the table if you'll come to it. And I have plans for your life if you'll come to me. Verse 18, Peter, uh, Jesus continues to talk to Peter. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. History shows that we know that Peter was martyred. And there's some documents that seem to suggest that he was crucified upside down. He may or may not have been, but we do know that he, he died for the Lord. And, and Jesus is prophesying about this. And after saying this, he said to him, here's how we know he received him back. He said, follow me, or keep following me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. 
the one who also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? I love verse 21, Peter. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? I think Jesus probably, Peter, don't worry about him, right? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Don't worry about him. Don't worry about my plan for that person over there or for that church over there. I've got plans that are for you. You follow me. Don't worry about him. Verse 23, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them written to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And so John closes out his account, showing us how Jesus responds to those who have failed. And my question to you this morning is you're either in, you're in one of three camps. This morning, you are a person that has said that you don't want Jesus. You've never come to him. You've never claimed to. You don't believe in him. But this morning, maybe you hear his voice calling you. How do you know if you're hearing his voice call you? Because there's this desire in you that I want to know Jesus. I want to know this man that you're talking about here in the scriptures. If that's you, and you know, if this is Jesus, and I want to encourage you to turn and come to him this morning in faith and call out to him. Now, there's others that you have been with Jesus, but maybe, what if you're one of those that denied him and said, you know, I'm done with that, and you've walked away from, from Jesus? You might be asking Am I one of those that has walked away and like in Hebrews chapter 6 that can't be, can't return? Well, let me ask you this. Do you want to? Those that don't return don't want to return. Do you want to return to Jesus? Who, if, if this is you, I want to encourage you, if you hear his voice, to remember what Peter did. He denied Jesus three times. He turned away from Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He receives him back. I want to encourage you to come back to him this morning. And then to the rest of the church, if, you, if you're walking with Christ, if you're with him, I want to encourage you to stay connected to him and reach out. Bring others. Help. There's people in this room this morning that need to hear the grace of, of God this morning. There's people in here that are de dealing with things that, that we have no, no idea we're, they're dealing with. We're smiling, but deep inside there's this does Jesus really love me? Is there hope for me? Am I going down? So I want to encourage the rest of the church to stay with Christ, continue to walk with him, bear fruit, and to reach out, extending. Because what does Jesus do to everyone? He basically extends the offer to anyone who will come, and then we must respond.
to that offer. So if you want to come back to him, I want to encourage you this morning, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Respond to him. Come to Jesus. Receive his forgiveness. And come and follow him. Let's pray.